As of today, in the province of Quebec, with a population of 8.1 million, there are 302 missing people. In the state of Georgia, with a population of 10.5 million, there are 250 missing people. Hello, I'm your host, Sheena. And I'm Christina. Welcome to Mill Carton Cases, a missing persons podcast dedicated to unsolved missing person cases in Canada and the U.S. Today, I will be discussing the disappearance of 19-year-old Antoine Jarvis, who went missing from Laval, Quebec. And I will be discussing the missing person case of 66-year-old William Ferrer um, from Louisville, Georgia. So this time I'm taking us to Quebec, which is the province that I'm from. Can you tell me anything about Quebec that you know? So um, I know that that is where Montreal is, mm. um, and it is more eastern. Yes, and it's got borders with the U.S. I know Vermont, and I think New York. Yeah, somewhere over. And even, yeah. I think those are the only two, but I'm not a thousand percent sure. It's just over there. Yeah, it's we'll over there. We'll go with that. <clears throat> um, okay. So, yes, the city of Montreal is in the province of Quebec. The capital of Quebec is Quebec City. Oh. Yes. I don't know why. I just assumed it was Montreal. Yeah. I mean, most people would. Yeah, most people would think that because it's a pretty populated city and it's a popular city, but nope. Quebec City. I guess that does make sense. It is called Quebec City. City, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, yeah, so aside from that, I was trying to fi- figure out something like new that maybe we haven't talked about. And I stumbled on this fact that I thought was kind of interesting. I sent you um, a few photos. Mm-hmm. If you want to just look at the, the ones of like a building. Okay. Okay. I'm going to talk about that. I'll explain it. So when people think of Quebec, they might often think of the beautiful city of Quebec City. And it's very popular hotel called Le Chateau Frontenac by Fairmont Hotels. I think um, it wasn't Fairmont owned until more recently, but it's Le Chateau Frontenac. I sent you a picture. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, The last picture I sent you, by the way, is the skyline, so... Go to the building pictures, and then I'll get back to that. I myself have actually been to this hotel once with, yeah, I know, fancy, with a former employer. Um, It was for an employee, like, retreat, sort of like a leadership, not even, it was like an R&R retreat just for us to hang out and just get massages and, yeah, really Nice. nice. Beautiful in real life. Like, if you can look at the pictures and you think it's gorgeous, it's even more beautiful in real life. Mm Mm-hmm. So the fun fact, Fairmount uh, Le Chateau Frontenac Hotel is apparently the most photographed hotel in the world, according to 2019 Guinness Book of World Records. Interesting. I don't know what happened afterwards, but in 2019, (laughs) it was the most photographed hotel in the world. Huh. Yeah. So it looks like an old castle, kind of, if if you Mm -hmm. take a look at it. 
Um, and it's located really close to the St. Lawrence River. I was going to ask what that river yeah. was. Yeah, it's pretty. So it was custom built in 1893 for the Canadian Pacific Rail, uh, Railway, excuse me, as a luxury resort. And uh, I'll just give you a little fact about the Canadian. So the Canadian Pacific Railway Company, excuse me, CPR, was incorporated in 1881. But uh, it actually was only completed in 1885. This transcontinental railway was made based on a promise to British, the province of British Columbia upon its entry into the Confederation. And with it spanning from one side, the railway spanning from one side of the country to the next, you can just imagine how um, it played an important role of the development of the nation. Mm-hmm. Um, but... I'll go more into depth uh, on the railway another time when we maybe do a British Columbia story. But for now, I just wanted to give you that little tidbit and get back to my hotel. Sounds good. So back to the hotel. Um, In a City Seeker article, it is described as undeniably exalted example of Victorian architecture. I had to quote that because it's like, how do you? Wow. Right? Okay, Hmm. then. I mean, it is pretty. It is pretty. I, that's what I would say. I don't know if I would go to yeah. those terms. Yeah. So it's iconic. Um, and when you look at the city skyline of Quebec, which, so the last photo I sent you, mm-hmm. it definitely stands out, wouldn't you say? I would definitely agree. Okay. So the central tower of the hotel actually, uh, and I did send you another photo of a before and after. Mm-hmm. So it was only added in 1924. If you take a look at what it looked like beforehand. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's so pretty. But that middle part, that mm-hmm. big, like that big peak wasn't there until mm-hmm. 1924. So this hotel actually has 600 guest rooms. And each one is as luxurious as the next. It's like he can't go wrong from one room to the next. It also has beautiful views over the St. Lawrence River. Uh, it's definitely a, a sight to see if you get to go to Quebec City. I would recommend spending a little bit of money and getting a hotel there for like a night or two. Yeah, and that's that's all I'm going to feed you today on uh, Quebec. I just Obviously- looked up uh, uh, prices <clears throat> for it because mm-hmm. I was... Um- I think it was like minimum 300 a night. Yeah, that's not nearly as much as I was expecting, I don't mm. think. Like, it's a lot, but I guess I was expecting it well, to be more. Well, they have 600 rooms. I guess they can afford to not... Well, I still think that's expensive. It is expensive, but for, like, you know, crazy luxury Yeah, hotel. but that's just the room. You are you know, you're not getting any yeah. of the other amenities. Like, if you wanted... the So they have a spa in there. I got a massage there. Um, They have... Uh, great food um i don't know what else you could pay for at the hotel besides food and drink and spa yeah i guess it's just like that's the usual price of like some of the california hotels that we 300 Mm -hmm. Mm. so it just doesn't seem quite as yeah but i guess there's probably different rooms that you could get that are more expensive mm-hmm. but even the three the lower range is still really pretty mm-hmm. yeah. yeah it just seems uh much more affordable than i would, you would have, have thought expected yeah it's not like the eh, the w hotel is probably less expensive than that but yeah yeah mm-hmm. the ritz i'm trying to compare it oh my God. the ritz might be more expensive in new york 
Ah, uh, well, I'm thinking of Montreal. Oh, but you can the Ritz anywhere. I would assume would be more expensive at a regular rate than this hotel. Yes, hundred almost seven hundred bucks. And I've seen the hotel rooms at the Ritz. Not to knock it, I mean, it's still beautiful. <laughs> I, I saw the one in Montreal, and I'm like, meh. I definitely think the chat the Chateau Frontenac has nicer rooms. It looks so fancy. Yeah, it's very it's very pretty. Victorian. Mm-hmm. What is it? What did I say? <laughs> uh, <laughs> undeniably exalted example of Victorian architecture. It's a lot of, of ease. It's a lot of ease in one sense. Yeah. All right. So that's it. That's all I got for Quebec. It's the French pro- speaking province of the country. Um, and apart from that, yeah, the city of Montreal is there. And there's a lot more information that I can give you, but that's what I'm going to stop at tonight. Sounds good. All right. Let's move on. On Thursday, April 7th, 2016, Antoine Jarvis left his family home in the district of Chamonix in Laval, Quebec. Later that same day, Antoine's mother attempted to contact him by phone call, but when he didn't respond, which was unlike him to do so, she became worried and the search for Antoine began. At that point in time to his family and the police, that was the last known sighting of Antoine. Until upon starting the search... Did they only get some more information? Um, and then only at that point, someone came forward with information that they saw him on a city bus that same morning at 9.15 a.m. Uh, this was near the Le Chapelle Bridge in Cartierville, which I sent you a little map kind of showing you the bridge. Mm-hmm. Yep. <clears throat> so this bridge crosses between the city of Laval and the city of Montreal. It's really, it's a short, short little bridge mm-hmm. where he lived was in Laval in a, like a district called Chamity and Cartierville is on the Montreal side. Okay. The body of water that it crosses over is Rivière des Prairies, so uh, Prairies River. Interesting, or just a fact, on the other side of the bridge is the CGEP that he, he was attending at the time. Um, the what, sorry? The college. So it's like. What did you call it? A CGEP. Okay. That's what they call it in Quebec. So it, it I would say you can call it a college. After high school, mm-hmm. you graduate high school grade eleven. Twelve. No. You, oh, yes. sorry. <laughs> sorry. You graduate grade grade twelve in the province of Ontario. They graduate in grade twelve. In Quebec, you graduate in grade eleven, and then you move on to CGEP, um. which is either like a two or three year program depending on what you do pre university. Okay, so it's kind of like a vocational school not not no because it's pre-university so you can decide to take a career Mm -hmm. a program and do that route route and that would probably possibly extend it from three to four depending on which program you go into or you can take the pre-university programs which is usually two years oh so it's it's almost like like a 12 and 13 grades so it's almost like a community college before you go to like university yeah because like uh here it's like you graduate high school and community colleges are usually cheaper to go to you just like take a low level introductory classes Mm -hmm. and then you can either um go to like a vocational school or you can transfer to like a university but usually community colleges are only a couple of years i guess so but in english it would be a diploma of college studies 
Okay. So I get it is like college. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's like pre college. It is college. Yeah. But you pre college. So pre university, but yes, college. <laughs> yeah. Fucking words are hard. Uh, anyways, yes. So uh getting back to that. So that's the school he went to. Got it. Vanier, which is a college for you American people. But not really, but yes, really. I don't know. That's, that's all the same. Let's call it college. And just let it go. <laughs> My gosh, where was I? <laughs> Sorry. No, no, no. Um, right. So this bridge crosses between the city of Laval and Montreal um, over that river, Prairies River. And on the opposite side was a CJEP that he was attending. Um, and yeah. Um, or he had attended. It's a little unclear if he was still going to school at that time. This was the last known sighting of 19-year-old Antoine Jarvis. Um, and that was the last sighting, official sighting that was reported up until today. Going into the investigations and the theories, April 16th, nothing came from that search. They also had two boats on the river searching for him. April 17th, family and friends decided to conduct their own search for Antoine by foot. Um, on that Sunday, it was a Sunday, close to 50 people showed up at uh, St. Maxim High School. And then they split up into smaller groups in order to cover as much ground as possible. They searched in Laval and the surrounding area of Laval along the riverbank. May 8th, this would have been his family's third public plea at the time. Um, his mother, Angela Palmer, explains how, in this interview, how... Um, it was a normal behavior for him to not respond to her calls, just to say that it, he, she doesn't believe that he ran mm-hmm. away, you know. Um, but in the same public plea, she states that Jarvis had, um, Antoine had been taking medication daily for his mental health and did not take it with him that day on April 7th. In the same interview with CTV, his mother also said, and I'm going to read as quoted, Jarvis has recently struggled with mental health issues Days before he went missing, he'd been given medication that had made him feel confused and dizzy. End quote. Also in that same CTV article covering his story, um, the there's words, the way they word it is like this, and I will read it exactly. So I just want to be clear that it wasn't, it's not me saying it. Um, open quotes. Uh, the man's family is very concerned about Antoine Jarvis's health because he must because he must take his antipsychotic drugs, end quote. I don't know if that's like a translation. Like it, it was kind of, that's how it was worded. Yep. <clears throat> so also on May 8th, Angela tells Montreal Community Contact that three weeks prior to this interview, they received a report saying that he had been spotted in the Outremont area. It's about 13 kilometers away from the bridge where he was last seen. Um, she also describes in the morning that she saw him last, um, saying that she left the house later than usual that day, about two hours later to be exact. She explains why she did this and that it was to make sure that her son had had a good breakfast before his doctor's appointment later that day that he was supposed to get to. Okay. Yeah. So maybe that's where he was heading. Not sure. She states that she left him at the table that morning. <clears throat> and notes seeing that he and notes seeing that he was a bit sluggish. She also points out that at the time his twin sister was still in bed when she left. It was eight fifteen a.m. 
Once Angela got into work, she attempted to contact Antoine at the house and said, um, and it was then that her the sister answered and told her mother that he had already been gone at that point and that he didn't finish his breakfast and just left it on the table. She goes on explaining, Angela goes on explaining that she knew his patterns and it was unlike him. This was unlike him. And she continues by saying, I'm going to quote, he would never leave unfinished food on the table. He always cleaned his dishes and put them away. So I was very concerned. I told his sister to start searching for him immediately. End quote. So going backwards here a little bit on April 5th, Antoine was, a t- this is before he went missing, two days before. Okay. Um, he was attempting to be, he attempted to be admitted into the Jewish General Hospital. The doctor who was there wasn't his regular doctor and reported that she noticed him appearing to be unstable and walked him into the emergency department hoping to have him admitted sadly the nurses in the er suggested that he was okay and let him leave apparently these same nurses had come to know antoine from the way it sounded like so they were oh no he should be fine Mm -hmm. but then in the same article angela tells that uh tells tells the journalist that um, instead the the doctor gave him an injection which was not his usual medication and then sent him home Hmm. yeah it's a little confusing there Um, then reportedly on his way home afterwards in a taxi Antoine uh, calls his mom saying that he was confused and he didn't know where he was oh no yeah Um, he was only 10 minutes away from his home at this time and as you can imagine um he had been to that hospital before, so like you can just imagine that he had he must have been comfortable with with the route. Um, he was used to public transportation. He's nineteen. You know, he it's not normal that he was confused and lost mm-hmm. being so close from home. Um, and then at this point, Angela ended up speaking to the taxi driver and directing him to their home oh, to get her son home. That's good, at least. Yeah, yeah. This was two days though before he went missing. That's pretty much the end of the story that I have for you. And for his description, I decided to use what his mother mm-hmm. said to describe him. And also, Mother's Day had just just recently passed this month. I thought it would be better to let her words describe him. Uh, so she describes her son as warm, loving, kind, and thoughtful. And, quote, he appears as a guy who's confident and has the world at his feet. But he's also, he is very shy and introspective. We're all missing him so much. His sister, his father, his grandparents. So much love. Antoine is an impressive looking guy standing at six feet, four inches and weighs about 200 pounds. He was last seen wearing a winter coat, a white winter coat. Side note, he loved football and played for Vanier College. He has a tattoo on um, on the right side of his chest with his stage name Arson. I also found this through his Facebook page on his last post. Can, um where he posted a link to his YouTube page. So he was an, he was a rapper. The name that he raps under um, on his YouTube channel is Devious Hazy. And I will la- leave a link for people, who anyone who wants to go check it out and listen. And the last song that he posted on his Facebook page was ca- titled Mad and Crazy. Anyone with information is urged to call Laval Police at 450-662-4636. Or the Missing Children's Network at 1-888-692-4673. 
So on that note, we're going to take a break and we'll be back in a, in a second. Sounds good. Given that this is uh, the month of May, while we're when we're recording this, even though it'll be released in June, mm-hmm. um, it is Mental Health Awareness Month. So, with that being said, um, if you're in Canada, there is mental health support line that you can call. It's free and confidential. It can be used for mental health and substance use support. It's available 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and it's from Wellness Together Canada. You can talk to a mental health professional one-on-one by calling 1-866-585-0445 or you can text wellness to 686-868 if you're a minor or you text 741741 if you are an adult. And if you're in the States, you can call 1-800-273-TALK to reach a 24-hour crisis center put on by Mental Health America, or you can text MHA to 741741. On September 13, 2002, 66-year-old William Ferrer disappeared from Louisville, Georgia. So today, my case takes place in Georgia, which is in the southeast, just above above Florida. So in my last episode, um, I mentioned that Idaho is known for potatoes. Yep. Do you know what food Georgia is famous for? Gumbo? Good idea. Not even a little bit. (laughs) So they're famous for peaches. Have you ever heard of Georgia peaches? Oh, yes. I should have said that. Nope, that's okay. It's only on their license plate, but that's fine. Uh, (laughs) Um, However, Georgia is not the top state for producing peaches. What? It's third. It only grows three to five percent of the nation's peaches. And who grows the most percent of the nation's peaches? It is California and South Carolina. Oh. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep, in that order. So California is the top producer. Mm. So. So why does Georgia peach? Oh, a Georgia peach. Uh-huh. Why? Like, why? Unknown. <laughs> but yeah, so I thought that that was a fun fact. And what about gumbo? Is that a thing? That's Louisiana. Ah, sorry. But you're in the right mm. area. Am I? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just okay, a couple good. states over. At least. Yep. Okay. Um, another fun fact about Georgia. It is only one of two places with lemurs that live in the wild, quote unquote. Seriously? Yeah. Meaning they just, they're native? They're to- just, well, they're free range living in groups in the wild. Do you no. know the other place that lemurs live? Africa? Mm-hmm. Yeah. They live in Madagascar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, Yeah. Yep. But how did they get to Georgia? Was it well, natural? I'm going to tell you. Okay, thank you. <laughs> so off the coast of Georgia, there are a bunch of little barrier islands, and one of them, St. Catharines, has become an animal, animal sanctuary and research station. So the island was bought by a foundation that promotes conservation, protecting endangered species, preserving historical sites, and tries to expand the knowledge of ecology, botany, zoology, natural history, and archaeology. So the island itself is 10 miles long and up to 3 miles wide and hosts a large number of breeding groups of rare exotic animals. So like I mentioned before, there's a breeding colony of ring-tailed lemurs along wow. with aldabra tortoises, gemsbots, no. mm-hmm, gemsbots, and rhinoceros hornbills, just to name a few. 
So those are the pictures That's that I pic- sent okay. you. Okay, I was like, are of those groups specifically? Oh. Um, so the idea is that you can breed the animals up to be eventually released into the wild where they're natively from to help boost population yeah. numbers. Yeah, I was listening. I was. That's okay. <laughs> I was. <laughs> Um, so while some of the animals are kept in pastures or large aviaries, it sounds like there are a lot of groups that are just running loose, like the lemurs. So the mm. lemurs are just like living their lives in the jungles mm. of uh, Georgia. So I'm okay. kind of picturing it like the real life version of Jurassic Park, where there's just like a bunch of animals on this island that they're trying not to go extinct, basically. Um, when I went to that surf park out here in texas Mm -hmm. i think i told you this but there was like a around the wake boarding area in this park there was a little little island and there was lemurs um just like jumping around in the trees huh yeah i did not know that and i was like why (laughs) how did they it no but like it wasn't really considered an island you can't consider it an island it was tiny 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 but there was lemurs on it huh weird right that is weird yeah. Look Maybe it's like the park's pets that were just like know. running loose. Yeah, we should look that up. Okay, so it looks like that's part of the Cameron Park Zoo. They have a lemur island, so it's still part of This is in Waco. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's probably... So there's still a zoo, but why would they be out in the open at a at so, the park? How, that, how does that work? A lot of, like, the zoos, they'll have, they'll still have enclosures around them somehow, mm-hmm. but they'll just be, like, allowed to kind of, like, in their own space. So it's usually not, like, a bunch of them. So, like, in uh, this Georgia place, they have over 70 individuals that live together. Normally, oh. zoos will have up to, like. It was, like, two, I think, we yeah, saw that. Yeah, that's pretty much, like, up, up to like... five, I would say, is the largest group that you'll have in a zoo. It was really uh, surprising, very mm-hmm. surprising. You know, you're wakeboarding. What? Yeah, so it might just be like that's still part of the zoo. And they just. And that's just like where their enclosure is. And you can just happen to see it from where you're wakeboarding is what I would assume. Yeah. Okay. All right. Very interesting. And yes, um, still shocking that Georgia mm-hmm. would be a place where you would see those. Yep. So I especially thought that this was super cool because it lets people study animals' behavior without going all the way to Madagascar Mm. or wherever (laughs) else the animals are. Um, And even then, yes, exactly. And even then, with shrinking habitats, this might be the largest uninterrupted area anywhere to see how these animals like actually interact in like social groups. So a lot of experiments have been done on the lemurs where they just like watch them and like see how different groups interact because nobody really knows how they breed together. And how they like make social structures and like that kind of stuff. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Okay. Until like they got to do these experiments, quote unquote, and how of just like they... watching them, of just like, okay, if you have like 70 lemurs, like how do these 70 lemurs interact in like this area? And do you know how? I didn't look into it specifically, okay. but I just saw that like that was the main mm. focus of just like, I'm, this is why this is cool. I'm curious. Like, I always put lemurs in the category of like monkeys like chimpanzees and squirrel monkeys type mm-hmm. thing but that's not really what do they fall under that category i don't they think primates? they're technically primates i think they're like, like something else but they, yeah. they are close sir then cool. um so if you want to go visit st <clears throat> Catharines, mm-hmm. too bad 
Although, okay. although Georgia law, although by Georgia law, the beaches are open to the public for obvious reasons. The mm-hmm. interior is off limits. Okay. Um, without permission, and even then, it's apparently super hard to get a pass to visit. Well, that's nice. Mm-hmm. That yeah. makes sense. Yeah, and that's. It's like they're trying to keep the animals wild. They don't want them accustomed to people. So it sounds like even when um, people have to go like interact with the animals, either like to take care of a sick individual or like provide extra food, they try to do it in a very standoff manner to make sure that like they're not interacting too much. The animals don't get to know them. They don't get to know the animals. They're just there to watch from afar. And so they have to go back into the wild. It's not going to be an issue. Mm -hmm. That's great. Yep. That's actually really good to hear. Mm-hmm. Oh, yep. So I thought that that believe. was cool. Random island in Georgia. Yeah. Um. So now that I'm done with that tangent, uh, let's briefly mention where this case takes place, which is Louisville. Uh, Louisville. Kentucky. No. Georgia. No. Georgia. Yep. Georgia. We're in Georgia. But there is a Louisville, Kentucky. There's a Louisville. Oh. Louis. So, slight difference. Okay. Same spelling. Mm-hmm. Different pronunciation. Okay. Yep. But you're not wrong. It is in Kentucky. Um, So this Louisville is pretty central in the state. And actually from 1796 to 1806, it was the capital of Georgia. Uh, Do you know what the capital of Georgia is? I feel like this is an unfair question to ask. Capital of Georgia. What's the biggest city? Atlanta. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. Yep. See, you know. Um, So that is now the capital. Um, It is not? Atlanta is the capital. Okay. 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 Yep. Um, so in the meantime, Louisville has turned into a very small town with only a population of 2,381 people. That's small. Mm-hmm. So now on to the case. Uh, William Ferrer, who also went by Bill or Bo Peep, disappeared from Louisville on September 13th, 2002. On that day... Which did happen to be a Friday. It was Friday the 13th. Oh. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bill left his home between 9 and 9.30, waving to a neighbor as he left. Around 10, a witness saw Bill and his pickup truck at the entrance to one of his favorite fishing spots, Rocky Comfort Creek on Clark's Mill Road. However, with him were two men in a white Dodge pickup truck with North Carolina plates. So I, at this point, I'm kind of assuming that the witness knew Bill and she stopped to question the men. Um, one of whom she said was armed. So describing one of them, she said, his eyes were so dark and piercing that they looked evil, like they were penetrating me. I felt like his eyes were speaking to me to get lost and mind my own business or else. And that was the last time that Bill was seen. So it's a little unclear whether the witness called the police soon after this or if she only came forward after Bill was reported missing. But regardless, later that day, his boat was found in the creek, but sitting over a fallen tree above the waterline. His three fishing rods, cage of crickets, and his hat were all on the boat. His truck was still parked nearby on the shore with his keys and shotgun inside. So it seems like pretty quickly people came out and started looking for Bill. But initially, it kind of sounds like most of the people just assumed that something happened while he was on the water and then he drowned, so no forensics were initially done. However, the creek was shallow enough to walk in, so if he could stand, he could get out. I mean, the fact that his keys are in the car mm-hmm. already, to me, it's like, I don't know, I would start there. I would look there. But it is a small town. 
So you think that he you were hear, his keys in the ignition? Or? No, they were just in the in the truck. So it's like if you don't want to take your keys with you, I feel like it's very open mm-hmm. door. You know, you don't lock your door at night. Don't lock your okay. your car. That was my initial assumption of just like hmm. small town life hmm. type things. Okay, and you're going on a boat. Maybe there's no little like like glove compartment. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. But the boat key is on the boat. Yeah. In the boat. I mean. I'm assuming. <clears throat> okay. It sounded like just the truck key was in the truck. Okay. Um. So where were we? You said you could walk. The water was so shallow that you could he could get up and walk. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Thank you. Um. But even if it was deeper, everyone mentioned how good of a swimmer Bill was. So it does seem like his friends and family think that foul play was involved. His friend Mitchell McGraw said, only thing I could think of, and we hollered for him, and we couldn't find him or nothing. I said, well, he's got to be in this water somewhere. He can swim better than I can. He can swim better than a duck can. He didn't drown. So that kind of makes me think that, like... Something happened. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Authorities did bring down cadaver dogs from Tennessee, divers, and big track hose that diverted the creek and drained the area that he thought might... that they thought he might be in, but they never ended up finding anything. Um... They made a dam, and they rerouted, rerouted the creek, Mitchell said. And I said to be sure he stuck up under a limb or a log or something. He's still not there. Uh, there was a journalist, Ben Nelms, from the News and Farmer, also known as a Jefferson reporter, who described the scene. That gray, damp creek bed. The fish were flapping. People were grabbing them and taking them uphill to the canal so they wouldn't die. A lot of people were just sitting in silence. It was like, oh my god, he wasn't here, and he was never here. So they basically rerouted the entire creek to search that area that he, they thought that he would have been in. Mm-hmm. They didn't find anything. And that's when they're like, Whoop. He was never here. He was never here. Yep. Because the creek is small, too. Like, you gotta. But it just feels crazy that they would go to all the effort to, yeah. like, completely change the course of the creek. Yeah. To look for him. Um, at the time, Bill was not having any financial problems, and none of his credit cards were used after he disappeared. Investigators also said that his home was very neat and clean, so it didn't look like anybody had been running around in it. Uh, no one found any evidence that he left on his own, and he seemed happy with his life. He was semi-retired and was a caregiver for his mother. Bill had a very active social life. He went on a lot of walks with friends, he had lunch and dinner with people, and he would fish. On Friday mornings, he would go out and catch fish and then go to a fish fry at one of his friend's house on the weekend. Which I think just think sounds fun. I was going to say. It's like you just like. Sounds like the best retirement plan. Right? You like go I, catch I fish, fish. But still. And then you like go to a big fish fry. Yeah. And like hang out that with sounds friends, nice. Go for walks. Mm-hmm. Have a boat. Hang out. Fish. Yep. Sounds nice. Doesn't it though? Yeah. Uh, so it might seem like this kind of disappearance is coming out of nowhere. But there's a little bit more background to this case. So, several years before Bill disappeared, either in 1998 or 1999, he was once again near Rocky Comfort Creek, walking some property that a friend of his had purchased, looking at the fishing and hunting around there, when he found a marijuana patch. The plot had a high-tech military netting over the plants, and they looked ready for harvesting. It's... Sorry, is marijuana uh, legal in no. Georgia? No. Okay. So back, I don't even know if it's legal now, but back then it was definitely, definitely not, not okay. legal. Yep. 
Uh, Bill reported the patch anonymously to the police, and the growers were caught living in an old house that was already there. What was that for? No, no, that he reported it anonymously. Anonymously. But that was, what, four years? Before. Before? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, yeah, okay. More recently... He was attacked around noon on February 10th, 2002 by two men with a stun gun at the same place he would disappear seven months later, Rocky Comfort Creek on Clark's Mill Road. Bill described what happened, saying, When I turned around, they hit me with a stun gun. I think that's what it was. It knocked me to my knees and both of them grabbed me and the shorter one, I believe it was a shorter one, told the other fellow to get his billfold. And they pulled my billfold out and they said, Where's your money? I said, I don't got any money. He also said that the two men were wearing gloves and had a black pickup truck with North Carolina plates. So if you remember, the witness saw Bill with two men in a white pickup truck with North Uh, Carolina plates the day he disappeared. No freaking way. That feels like a very large coincidence Mm -mm, mm -mm. to me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, Bill said that they stopped and asked for directions and then they attacked him. He was able to get away, and he hid in the woods until dark when he was able to make it home to take care of his mother. No way. Yeah. Okay. Right? That feels like a big coincidence. Uh, The next day, he reported to police, but no arrests were made. And it was then that he started carrying a gun with him whenever he went out fishing. And if you remember, they found the gun still sitting in his truck after he disappeared. Um, after his disappearance, Bill's sister did receive four letters in her mailbox talking about who was involved. However, she has never released the name, only saying that the name that was mentioned does not surprise her. So I, she just hasn't released it publicly. I don't know if she like told the police what the name was. Um, but it does seem a little weird to me. It's like unless they were local people with North Carolina plates. like, Or maybe people that she isn't surprised um, involved if, in some kind of illegal activity. Yeah, it's it just like the people who, who wrote the letter. It just makes it sound like it's somebody who's probably local that she knows. Yeah, that's yeah, so what it sounds like to me. So it's like, well, if they're from North Carolina, would she actually know who they were, or is it somebody else entirely? You know, I don't know. Yeah, that's what. It- so Bill Ferrer is a sixty-six-year-old white male with gray hair and brown eyes. He is five foot six, one hundred and seventy-five to one hundred ninety-five pounds, and wears glasses. Anyone with information is asked to contact the Jefferson County Sheriff's Office at four seven eight six two five seven five three eight. That's a missing person case of Bill Ferrer. Do you want to hear my theory? Let's hear it. I think it has something to do with the marijuana. Um, could it be possible that Bill had some connection to, or not connection, but maybe he kept going to that spot for a reason. Maybe there's some blackmail involved. I'm, I know it sounds crazy, but maybe it's not crazy. I don't think so. I think it's too small of a town. Everybody's gonna know everybody's business. Rit, wit, okay, you okay? Let me let me take that and ask you if that is the truth. I mean, if that is so, how come somebody in a small town would 
would risk growing marijuana and know that it's such a small town that they'll probably get caught. Who are they selling to? It's like they maybe gotta be it wasn't somebody. Like, maybe it was like people coming over from a different state, different state, like to up from it. Tennessee or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, to grow it in this it's area. A long way to grow weed. Yeah, but that's where the cadaver dogs came from. I didn't actually look it up, but huh. Tennessee's like right there. Like, it? I don't. Know, I, to me, a different state. I'm like it's far. <laughs> I mean, people I just, are apparently coming over from North uh, Carolina. North Carolina, which is what I'm saying. So, 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 you got people growing the drugs, mm-hmm. and then somebody distributing them. Maybe the growing was happening there, and the distribution was happening in North Carolina, and that's why North Carolina plates were seen in that area in order to, like, you know, maybe I that's mean, yeah, what it is. That's that's definitely a possibility. Which, but- yeah, and then. But maybe there was still some friction in between the first time that he anonymously in a small town anonymous is not anonymous. Right. Let's be real. I just think that that's a lot of time in between yes. to have anything happen. Four years is a long time. I agree. But we don't know what happened between those four years. That's right? true. I just feel like they would. We just know what was reported. They would. That's true. We just know what's reported. But he mm-hmm. seems like the kind of guy. He seems, to, how like, do you know? To talk to his friends and like mention what's going on. Which could have gotten him in more trouble. Which it sounds like he did get in a lot of trouble. But four years in between? Again, we don't know what happened. We don't know what happened, but I'm just saying. I'm speculating. I understand <laughs> that. <laughs> with me. I mean, we don't know him also. We don't know every detail of the story, but. There is some stuff. There are. You said there's a four year gap, so maybe there isn't a connection. And I and I would I, I agree that you probably are right on that part. But what? Let's just say, for whatever sake, we just try and look at the opposite end. And what if it is? There is a connection. Could it be possible that within the four years things have happened and we there is no report of it that we know of? You know? Yeah. Yeah. So it could still be connected, mm-hmm. is and I, what I'm and I think to that's say. like why they were reporting it in all the the right. articles that I was reading. Right, I just don't think they're that trying it's to make some likely. kind of connection. Yeah, you think that it's not likely, and I, I think that that's a fair assumption to make too. But I'm also on the opposite end, and I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> I watch movies. I watch TV shows. It's definitely connected somehow. <laughs> no, but it, it's also possible. It is. Um, should we wrap it up? Sounds good. So be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Cases Milk. Follow, rate, and review us on wherever you get this podcast. Also, please send us any cases you'd like for us to cover to our email, milkcartoncases at gmail.com. So keep your eyes sharp and your ears open. <laughs>